0: good evening thank you so much for being here with us tonight it's wonderful to see you and uh, worship together fellowship together and if you're visiting with us we're especially glad to have you with us thank you for being here with us tonight and please let us know if we can serve you in any way if we can help you in any way and we hope to see you again soon and we hope that we've we treat you kindly and that we make you feel welcome and make you want to come back and we sure encourage you to to come back and uh, you know it helps when when visitors um, come, and we have a, a, a few minutes before service and at least a few after. That helps people catch up and say hello to you. Um, it's harder when people come in late and leave uh, before the last amen is said, but we want to encourage you, let us, let us at least say hello to you, um, and we, we're so glad to have you with us tonight. Um, we're looking at our lesson tonight, and we want to look at a, a big question that Jesus asks, and it's one that he asks his disciples actually right before he began to tell them about his pending uh, arrest and uh, 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 crucifixion and then later resurrection. He asks this question a long time ago to people who lived a long time ago. And so we want to look at this question and, and ask, is this something that is relevant to us today? Does this question matter to us today? Is this something we should uh, consider consider or ask today? And so, we'll see what the, what that question means and uh, what uh, we might how we might respond to that. So let's look at Matthew chapter sixteen. We'll start at Matthew chapter sixteen, where we'll take we'll find this question Matthew sixteen thirteen through eighteen. Now here, a little bit of context before we get to that, we see that Jesus has been challenged, if you look a little bit earlier there in chapter uh, 16, a little bit earlier in the chapter, we see that Jesus has been challenged by the Pharisees and Sadducees to give a sign, prove you are who you say you are, prove to us, give us a sign, do a miracle, do some kind of card trick, do something. Of course, they were always testing him uh, giving him a hard time, trying to trap him, trying to trick him. And of course, they never could. And so uh, he, he dealt with them. He went on. He and his disciples left where they were, uh, and they got in a boat to sail to the other side of the water. And the disciples, while in the boat with Jesus, uh, going to another place, realized they forgot their food. No one brought any food. No one brought any bread. And so they start getting worried and panicked. Oh, no, there's, there's no food. You know, that's the most important part of your trip, right, is you've got to have some food with you. And they were panicked that they didn't have any food. Now, they, they quickly forgot that they're in a boat with this guy who's fed thousands at least two times recorded in Scripture for us with only a few loaves of bread. They forgot that, didn't they? This is a guy who took a few loaves and and some fish, and fed thousands of people with leftovers. And they're in a boat worried about food. And so Jesus takes that opportunity to teach them about, instead of the bread that they're worried about, the leaven uh, used to make the bread, or what, how that, the process works, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the false teachings, of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they don't quite get what he's saying because Jesus isn't worried about the physical food. He's got that covered if they need that. But that's what they're focused on is their physical uh, human uh, feelings and and cares and worries. And he says not to worry about that. And by the way, aren't I the guy that, that, that produced all this bread when we needed it for those crowds? And so finally they begin to understand what he's saying. And so it's a little bit after this When Jesus is with his disciples and asks the question that we see in verse number 13 of Matthew 16. And he he asks them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Okay. Now, in verse 14, they, they jump in and give them an answer. They've been hearing from the crowds. The people have been telling them, so... This this is who Jesus really is. And, And they've been hearing the whispers and the sidebar conversations. And in verse 14, they reply, and they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And now look at verse number 15 there in Matthew chapter 16. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what do you notice about the first question? What do you notice about the first question? What, what What Jesus was asking was, what do they say? Who do they say? What are you hearing others say? You see that? He wasn't asking them their opinion or belief at the time. He was asking, what are other people saying? What do other people believe? And he listened to their, their answer. And then what did he do with the second question? Do you see that? What did he do with the second one? He turned it personal to them. He said, okay, you've heard that. You've heard what people Say uh, You've thought about that. Y'all probably talked about that. Of course, Jesus would know if they had and would know what they were saying, what was on their hearts. He said, okay, so you know all that, but who do you say that I am? Do you see the difference there? Who do you say that I am? So you you, you hear what they say. Who are you saying uh, that I am? And so Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter knew who Jesus was. He was convinced of who he was. He was convicted about who he was. Peter was clear he knew who Jesus was. It wasn't just, oh, I think I heard this, or, you know, some people say that, or or, this is a good theory. It wasn't any of that. It was, I know who you are. And he proclaimed that he he was the true Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, Let's look at John chapter 17 and verse 3. Now, here, in this, there's a larger context here. Here, Jesus is praying to God on behalf of the disciples uh, because he's about to be arrested and, and, and crucified. So look at John 17:3, where Jesus is praying to God and he says, He's saying this to God in his prayer, and this is eternal life. That they, my disciples, know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, you see the similarities in what he asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And then over here in his prayer, he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus says that eternal life is knowing Christ and his Father. Now, back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 is where we see that similar question, that similar uh, thinking and statement, who do you say that I am? So knowing God and Christ is, is, is different than knowing about or knowing something of. Again, the other people, when, when, when Jesus asked, who do others say that I am? They had some facts and opinions and theories and and all of that kind of stuff. They had read the daily news and they had... Read the, 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 the trending tweets about who this guy is, and they were all wrong, weren't they, in who their assessment of Jesus was. And he wanted to know who they were, uh, who they personally believed he was. And then he prayed that I pray they will know us, God, and, and your son, me, because that is eternal life. To know Christ and to know God is eternal life. You can't have salvation if you don't know the one who gives it, can you? You can't have forgiveness of sins if you don't know the one who gives that forgiveness. And so it doesn't mean merely agreeing to some facts or some conjecture or some beliefs or opinions about who God is, who Jesus is, eternal life, or things that you heard, or things that grandma used to say. That, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about something deeper, something more significant, something greater than just some intellectual uh, uh, agreement to, yeah, I think Jesus probably existed, and God, if there's a God, he's probably real, and he probably wants us to be good. That's not at all what he was talking about. He said, that they may know you and the one whom you sent. So we're talking about this deeper knowing. So let's look at a person who didn't understand this in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. We'll start in verse 17. And we're, we won't read the, the, the whole entire thing, but let's look at This is a story about a rich uh, young man. Now look at, what, look at what happens in starting in verse number 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you see that? Eternal life. We're talking about eternal life. Who do you say that I am? And then in John 17, 3, the prayer that eternal life is to know God and know Christ. So what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. So Jesus knew where the guy's coming from, and he's, and he's testing him. He knows exactly what he's doing as soon as the guy uh, approaches him. So you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And, he said to th- and then the, the young man said to him, Teacher, I've done all these things, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, and notice what, what uh, Mark records. Jesus looked at him and what? loved him. He wasn't mad at him. He loved him, and he wanted him to hear the answer to to finding eternal life, having eternal life, and he wanted him to to have, to gain eternal life. He loved him. He appreciated what him coming to him, and and, and certainly as he loves all of us, he loved this man uh, for coming to him to know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus isn't mad when you ask questions. He's not upset that you don't understand something, or that you don't have it all together. But he also was testing him, and he gave him an answer. So what does he say? He says, uh, uh, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you like one thing. So great, you've done all these things since you were a young person. That's wonderful. Pat on the back, high-five, fist bump, everything, wonderful. You've done great, but you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. See that eternal life? And come, follow me. Now, you would think he asked a question, he got the answer, and it was the answer from Jesus whom he said, he called good teacher, he knew who he was, he wanted the answer, he wanted this eternal life, obviously, But he didn't like what God had to tell him. He didn't like God's way of doing it. He had been a good guy. He was probably influential, had a great reputation, a guy we could respect, probably somebody who would be friends with, probably had done a lot of good. This is a good, decent guy. But he lacked one thing, and he didn't want to hear what God had to say. And so disheartened verse 22 by the saying he went away sorrowful sorrowful for he had great possessions and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God and the disciples were amazed at it why, why would you say something like that Jesus but Jesus said to them again children how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God it is easier for the, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God and they were exceedingly astonished. They are not getting what Jesus is saying. And said, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible. See, the rich guy, the young guy, he came to him and he said, I've done, I have done all of these things. So, do I have eternal life, or is there something else uh, else I need to do? What is, what's that one more thing I need to do? I mean, I'll just, go, I'll just go buy it today. I'll just go pay for it. I'll just go do it today. Do I need to give away some more money? I'll go do that. I'll go do serve whatever a little more if I need to do that. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, with man it's impossible to be saved, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say, him see we've left everything and followed you and jesus said truly i say to you there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last will be first so he's saying Uh, it's, yeah, you've left it on now, you're going to get your heavenly reward, that's what it's about, but the young man didn't like Jesus's answer, and sometimes we do that when we come, uh, and we come, we want the word of God, we want to know what the Bible has to say, we want to know what we should do, and how we should live, and what's the accurate uh, belief on a thing, and then when we get it, we don't like it. Well, why would God do it that way? Now, maybe that's a fine question to, to wonder and want to know why, but this guy heard the answer and then got sad, uh, and, and I think the King James says his countenance fell, and he just turned away and said, well, forget that, I don't want that, and sometimes we do that. Don't? Well, why would Jesus, why would God want us to be baptized for the remission of our sins? I mean, it says it right there, but that just doesn't make sense. What? That's because he said it, and that's what he wanted. I mean, he could have said, "He go eat a bowl of ice cream, and you'll have salvation. And nobody would have an ag- a problem with that, especially because there's even lactose intolerant ice cream now that you can get. No, everybody could do that. There'd be no problem. Everybody would be jumping for joy to go do something like that. Well, you tell me i got to do that? That just didn't make sense. God, why would you want me to do that? Because I do. Because that's what I said, what he says in his word. Okay, now, so what do you see in this story? What do you see? The rich man, the young man, had all the right answers, didn't he? He had it all together. He, he knew he was right with God. And he had done all the right things and lived a decent life. But when Jesus confronted him with the one thing that he lacked that was keeping him Uh, From keeping God first in his life, he wasn't willing to give that thing up. And the message is not rich is bad. The message is not money is bad. His problem was, as we learned from Paul in 1 Timothy 6, it was that love of money, wasn't it? Because that was coming first. That was giving him his security. It was that love of money, and he couldn't let that go. That was standing between him and God, and he couldn't let that go. And Jesus knew that, and that's why he tested him with that. That's all he lacked. But that that wasn't a good enough answer for him. So Jesus got straight to the problem. This guy knew all about God, knew all the Bible class answers. He could raise his hand and tell you all the right answers about any question you ask in Bible class. But there was one thing. He was letting something between him and God, which means between him and eternal life, which means he said, I want to know God. He knew a lot about God, didn't he? He knew of God. He knew of Jesus. He says he obviously believed in Jesus. He called him good teacher. But he didn't want to go all the way like Jesus prayed for. I pray that they would uh, saying, this is eternal life, that they know you and your son whom you have sent. And then when Jesus asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? It wasn't, do you know my name? Do you know where I'm from? Do you know my favorite color? Do you know, you know, are we friends on Facebook? It wasn't stuff like that. It was like, do you know me as your Savior? And that's why Peter's answer tells us, he says, you are the son, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's a different kind of thing just to say, well, I, I, I'm a good person. I go to church or I, I, I do good in the community or I'm a good example or, hey, I, I'm not the one making and selling meth out there. You know, that's a totally different kind of thing. This is, are, you living with, are you living a kind of life as if he is your Savior? Do you Like you believe that. That's what he's getting at. Do you know him at that level? And the rich young man simply didn't want to know him. He didn't want to go that far in knowing him. So what did Jesus mean when he asked, but who do you say that I am? And what did Jesus mean when he said in his prayer, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent? Think about the Old Testament sacrifices. Think about the Old Testament sacrifices. In, in, there were many sacrifices that God uh, wanted to, individuals or his people uh, to do one of them was we see a ram slain in the place of Isaac Abraham's son when God told him go up there and put your son on the altar and sacrifice him and right at the last minute God stopped him right before he sacrificed his son and provided a substitute for Abraham's only son you see that Look at those Old Testament sacrifices and what they teach us. Now, then we see the Passover lamb that was slain in place of the firstborn in the Old Testament. Now, then we see that when the law was given, there were many sacrifices and offerings that were uh, commanded to be given to God at the temple. Now, Leviticus 1.4 tells us that when someone brought a sacrifice to the temple that they had to place their hand on the head of the burnt offering. Now, why would they do that? They had to place the, their hand on, the, on the, the head of the burnt offering, the goat, the bull, whatever it was, the sheep, because it was a way of saying, he's here for me taking my place. This animal, this sacrifice, I should be here. He is taking my place. Do you see that? And then we see on the cross that Christ fulfilled everything the Old Testament sacrifices meant. And Christ's sacrifice accomplished what they were not eternally able to accomplish. Because all the while, God was leading up to Jesus and his sacrifice for us, that permanent, eternal, final, once and for all sacrifice. And, he, and, and everything leads up to that. And so, understanding that to see uh, that look at the even this going all the way back to all of the sacrifices what they meant, and understanding that, and then to understand what it was that Jesus did for us that he provided that effective substitute for us by offering himself to God as a substitute. Jesus said, God, hold on. I don't want them to get on the altar. I don't want them to get on the cross. I'll take care of this. Of course, it was God and Jesus' plan uh, from uh, the foundations of the world. But Jesus said, I'll get on the altar. I'll be the sacrifice for them. That perfect lamb that was slain and all of our sins went on him. Look at Isaiah 53 4 through 6. Surely he has come, uh, surely he has borne our, our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. See, that's what we thought of him. But he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace, and, his, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him Jesus the iniquity of us all. In the Old Testament, they had to offer sacrifices continually, over and over, even daily, for their sins. But Jesus came as that perfect and permanent sacrifice. Hebrews chapter nine, verse twelve tells us that Jesus entered once into, uh, once for all, into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, the way they used to do it. But by means of what? His own blood. You see that? And thus securing. And because he did, did that, he secured for us a what? Eternal redemption. Do you see eternal life there? He acu- secured for us eternal redemption. So, uh, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I pray, John seventeen three, that... Uh, uh, that this is eternal life, that they may know you and and the one whom you sent. See, because he knew, he secured eternal redemption for those who would believe on him. And so the good news of Christianity is that on the cross, Jesus accomplished salvation for us. He turned aside God's wrath uh, towards our sin, and he made atonement for our sin. And that word atonement uh, includes the idea of covering our sin and took our, place, uh, took our place because he knew he was the perfect sacrifice. Look at Matthew 16, 15. Let's go back where we started, where Jesus asked the question, but who do you say that I am? He asked that a long time ago, not directly to us, but the question still is asked of us, who do you say that I am? It is still a question that they had to answer back then that we have to answer today. Who do you say that I am? Is Jesus someone you agree was alive and was probably a good teacher and a good guy and you've heard some things about him, but you're not too sure. Maybe they're true, maybe they're not, and, and yeah, there's probably a God and he probably wants me to be Good, as long as I do that, I'll go to heaven. Is, 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 is that what Jesus meant? Is that the way you're going to answer that? Not after what he did, because there's no way that's the, 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 the extent of your answer that, uh, that, that would satisfy your answer to gain eternal life. Because it's much more than just some facts and agreeing to some things. It is like Peter said, that conviction and being convinced of who he said he was. But some people just want, they just want a political Jesus. They just want, And that, that's what they wanted back then. They wanted Jesus to be this king and conqueror and ruler and to fix all over. We just want this political Jesus to just make, make things great again and just, just fix it all and, and, and do this and do that. And, and if he, and Jesus would just do that. Now there's certainly a time and a place for uh, uh, earthly level kind of uh, engagement. There's a place for that. But Jesus is not just, he's not a political savior. He's the son of God, our savior. Some people want a therapist, Jesus. I just want him to make me feel good about myself and make me happy and fix my problems so I don't feel, my my little feelings don't hurt anymore. I want him to help me cope with the mean thing that somebody said. I want him to give me a job. I want him to, you know, to bless me with things and stuff and success and self-fulfillment. And then there's the gentle Jesus that people want. And, oh, he just loves me, and anything I do is okay. And he just wants to hug me. And all you got to do is just say you love Jesus because we're saved by mercy and grace, right? And not by work, so we just have to love, which is really taking that out of context, isn't it? And then there's the touchdown Jesus. Again, like I said, we just want success. Help me win this game. Help me get that scholarship. Help me get that job. Help me make that touchdown. They just want that... That Jesus that will give us success in all that we do. And then there's the coffee shop Jesus that you can just hang out with, have a good time with. He's your bro, uh, you know, your girl, whatever. And, and you just have a good time with him. He understands you. He, he's fine if you're just doing those things because he's your buddy at the coffee shop. He's a cool guy. None of those are who Jesus is. None of those who are who, who Jesus is. Who I want is the Christ the son of the living God. Isn't that the one you want? I, the, those others are man-made Jesuses. Those aren't the real ones. Wh- what we want, what we need, is that son of the living God, that one who, who gave his life for our sins, and if we would just turn to him, we would know that eternal life with him. The one who died for me, the one who forgives me, the one who made atonement for my sins on the cross, the one who was raised from the dead, the one who gives me salvation... And, and, and if I turn to him and follow him according to the word, that salvation is what I'll have. So eternal life is knowing God and his son, Jesus. And we need, see, we need, we need to be clear on this. And again, it's so easy to sit in church and say, I know that, I, I believe that, I don't disagree with anything you've said. But, but, but here's, here's, where it, here's where we know if we believe it. Are we telling anybody about it? See, those disciples became apostles, which means they were sent. Sent to what? Go and tell. And so I can't say, oh yeah, I believe that. When Jesus' last words to us were to go and make disciples, and I'm not going to do that. So I have to question, do I even really believe this? Or does it just sound convincing? Or I grew up in this, or my parents make me. So if I believe it, am I going to live it? And how am I I going to take this to the world? Because it's not the preacher or just the teachers or the elders or the deacon or whoever. It is all of you that has to take this message of eternal life to other people. So, so a preacher or, or you know, a program or something like that may attract people and certainly may help people, and all those things are wonderful and good. But a church doesn't grow, people aren't added to the body of Christ. And I don't mean grow by someone got mad over here and decided to come over here or, or, or uh, you know making their rounds or whatever, and, and we want to be a great place to be and all of that. But I mean making disciples, reaching lost souls. That's what I'm talking about. If we believe that, we've got to do that. And I know I can do a better job at that, and maybe, maybe you can too. We've got to spread the gospel because, look, the family center isn't about a building. It's not about an office. It's not about an activity room. It's not about more classrooms. It's not about a cool space outside. It's not about any of that at all. It is about helping us do the work of the Lord. That is what it's about. That's what it's about. So, if, if down the road, now we want to take care of it, but if it gets worn out, I hope it gets worn out because we were serving God and we had things going on that helped people, that reached people, that brought people in, that helped our people grow. All of those kinds of things. That's one of the things I remember from our preacher back home at the Shallow Road congregation in Tyler. I was, lit, I, was, I was little. I wasn't even in the youth group yet. And I remember him saying, because we added onto our building, and back then, you know, everything was paneling. You remember paneling? It was in your house, it was everywhere. Everything was paneling. And, uh, uh, and, he, and he said, I hope this building gets worn out by us using it for God. Now, we're not saying don't be a good steward and go tear stuff up. You know what I mean? Use it for the work of the Lord. That's what we got to do. That's what we got to do. So a facility is about what we can do with it for the glory of God, okay? And so if we can help you tonight, if we can help you live in the reality of eternity with Christ, we want to do that tonight. If we can help you know that eternal life, if you don't know Christ at that deeper, more real, more true, more accurate, intimate, personal way, We want to help you with that tonight. If you have questions or doubts, we want to help you with that tonight. And see, it starts with that believing and then confessing and then being baptized. Putting on Christ in baptism. Because that's where you're united with Christ and your sins are washed away. And you're made a child of God and you're you're made a member of the Lord's church. That's how that works. That's just the way God did it. And that's the way it's taught in his word. And if we can help you in any way tonight, if we can help you in your relationship with God, we're here for you. You can come now as we stand and sing.